All right, we get back to, uh, after a one-week pause, to our catechetical series as we consider uh, this afternoon um, the benefits or the blessings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting that when you um, go to the book of Acts, this is after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and then he poured forth his spirit upon the church, and it was that very spirit who empowered the apostles of Jesus, apostles coming from the word apostolos in the Bible, meaning sent ones. And Jesus, in the power of the spirit, sent his apostles into the world to make the gospel, the good news, available to all who hear it. And if you look at the book of Acts where this is recorded, where the church is filled with the Spirit and the gospel is spreading, you see so often in the opening chapters of the book of Acts how often the apostles focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without the teaching of the resurrection, without the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our, our faith is really meaningless. In fact, worse, it's just false. So, not only must we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but we need to understand the result of that, which actually there's three main results or benefits that we're going to be considering um, uh, this afternoon. So, um, what I want to do is I want to read from Matthew chapter 28. So there we find the story of Jesus' resurrection, which is included in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But we're not going to focus on this passage um, and the story of the resurrection, but we're going to go to various passages looking at three basic benefits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. So, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold... He is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. If you notice on two separate occasions, you know, there is the, the word, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And it, it seems kind of strange to us unless you put yourself in the shoes or, if you will, the sandals of the individuals who uh, received the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It must have been a rather frightening thing to think that someone actually rose from the dead. And he did. Now, um, I want to draw your attention to question answer 45 right now. And we're going to confess that together. I want to say this before we confess these words together very quickly. It's rather interesting that, that our confessional standards, like we have the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, and the Canons of Dort, that our, our confessional standards don't take a lot of time 
to establish the fact of Jesus' resurrection. It's just assumed. And we should assume that as well. Although in the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul lays out what we call the fact or the historicity of Jesus Christ rising from the dead in space and time. But our confessional standards don't do that. Our confessional standards just assume that we understand with the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. So, with that in mind, the question then becomes for us, okay, if Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead, what does that mean for you and me? What does it mean for you and me? If, so, if someone on the street, if you were sharing your faith with someone, and they asked, and you were discussing the resurrection, and you say, well, okay, what, what's, what's, the, what's the fallout, or what's, better yet, what's the payoff of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you? I mean, what, what's, what's the benefit for you? So he rose from the dead. What would you say to that? Well, that's what the catechism is for, to give us something to say. So what are those three benefits that we receive as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So here's the question, very simple. How does Christ's resurrection benefit you and me? And let's say together. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make a share in the righteousness which he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything for our relationship with God, everything for our Christian walk, and everything for our future. For life beyond the grave, we look at those three things. Now, quick story true story, former Soviet Union. There was a well-known communist official who got up before an enormous crowd, and he spoke to that crowd, and when he spoke, he mocked Jesus Christ, and he mocked the Christian faith, and he extolled, instead, the virtues of Karl Marx and Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, who were leaders within communism. The philosophy of communism coming from a man named Engels and Marx, but then Vladimir Ilyich Lenin was the first leader within communist Soviet Union uh, who, who uh, really was the one who took over the reins from, I believe it was Tsar Nicholas, who was assassinated with his family. Anyway, that's all part of Russian history. But he got up in front of this large crowd, and again, he mocked the Christian faith, extolling the virtues of communism and these officials of communism. And when he was done, a Russian Orthodox priest went up to that man who was standing behind a podium like this, and he said, may I say two things, or just can I utter two words to the people who have gathered here? And the man said, okay. And he spoke two words in Russian, which are really three words in the English language. And he said, he is risen. And the crowd thundered back, what? He is risen indeed. And that crowd, I want to submit to you, intuitively understood that while Marx and Lenin and Engels were long dead, Jesus Christ was not. Jesus Christ was very much alive. And that life of Christ, that resurrected life of Christ, means everything for you and me. It means everything, as I said, for our position with God. We are in a right relationship with God, and I'll explain why that is. Secondly, it means everything for our Christian walk. For with the power with which Jesus was raised from the dead, we have power to, to live the Christian life in a way that pleases God. And thirdly, it means everything.
for the life to come, for life beyond the grave. We look at those very three things. Kind of makes what the catechism does with those three benefits, kind of makes a nice three-part sermon, all right? So number one, number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything for our relationship with God. A simple truth of the Bible is this, that you or I are desperate people. We are desperately, we are desperately in need of a right relationship with God. Now, if you talk with people in the world, let's say they're not Christians, or maybe they're dabbling or they're seekers at that point, they really don't know much about the Christian faith, most people in the world think that, that and I've stated this before, most people are not self-conscious atheists or even agnostics. Most people believe that there is a God out there. Ask the people to describe him, they would not be able to do it, but they believe that there is a God. And they believe that this God possesses a sovereign power, to what extent people will differ on that, but there is a sovereign God. His hand usually is at work in the world. How exactly? They don't know, but many of them will confess that. But also at the same time, there are many individuals in the world who, while they believe that there is a God, they also think that they are okay with this God. They're just okay with this God, and that this God, they always say this, this God is a God of love. They never talk about the holiness of God, they don't talk about the justice of God, they don't talk about the wrath of God, but they talk about the love of God, and their assumption is, no matter how they're living, because nobody's perfect after all, but at least they're not murderers, right? The relationship with God is okay. The Bible says no, right? The Bible says no, 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 no. The fact of the matter is that as human beings, we struggle with what's called a sinful condition, a sin nature, and out of that sin nature are sinful acts that we perform, and that even the smallest of these sinful acts are an offense to a holy and a just God. And if that is true, you and I are in a deep, deep bind. And so what we need is someone to come and provide a bridge between us as sinners and a holy and a just God. Because what our sin does, it not only separates us from God, but what it does is it creates what we call not just a disharmonious relationship with God, but actually a, a, a wrathful relationship with God. Things are not right between ourselves and God. And so we need someone to come to bridge that alienation and that disharmonious relationship, that wall between ourselves and God, we need someone whom the Bible says comes in the form of the person of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who we desperately need to take away three things in our life. The guilt of sin, because we stand in a guilty relationship with God. We need him to take away the penalty of sin, which is judgment and death. And we need to take him to take away the reigning power of sin in our lives. In short, we need Jesus Christ to justify us. That is, to put us in a right relationship with a holy and a just God. Okay? That's basic, basic theology. Now, here's where the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes in. If you put up uh, the first... Passage. Romans chapter 4, take a look at it, 24 and 25. It, 
the righteousness of God will be counted to all those who believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was Jesus who was delivered up, ultimately unto death, for our trespasses, our sins, our violations of the law of God, and here it says, he was raised for our justification. What does that really mean? That phrase has kind of troubled people throughout the year. What does it mean that Jesus was raised for our justification? Basically, what it's telling us is that through his resurrection, Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only did he conquer sin and death, but Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was completely qualified to put us in right standing with his heavenly Father, with a holy and a just God. He demonstrated that. Because think about this. Let's say Jesus came to this earth and he paid for the penalty of sin, which is death, through his own death on the cross, but he never rose from the dead. Jesus, if he never rose from the dead, would have demonstrated that he's really no different than you and me. He would have been a sinner like you and me because the wages of sin is death and he would have died and he never rose from the dead. He would be no different than you and me. He would be totally disqualified as a savior. But when Jesus, by the power of God, rose from the dead, he proved, he demonstrated to us that he was that qualified savior who came into the world to put us in right standing with God. And as we've seen in the past, as we've gone through this series, Jesus alone is qualified to do that. Because as far as I know, there's no individual in this world who ever lived and died and who lived again and went on to live eternally. Jesus alone did that. He proved. He proved that he was that qualified Savior to put us in a right relationship with God. He proved that he was the one who could and did justify us. Now, with that having been said, think about Think about certain individuals, and the Bible actually speaks about what we call pseudo-messiahs who would come into the world and claim to be a messiah, claim to be a life-giving figure like Jesus. Let me mention just two. Raise your hand. This is a catechetical sermon, all right, so we tend to, to be a little bit more involved here. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Jim Jones. Oh, wow. One, two. Really, or are you just bashful? All right? Okay, a, okay, a few more. Okay, Jim Jones. Here's Jim Jones, very quickly. Jim Jones was a leader of a cult known as the People's Temple. Jim Jones was a self-proclaimed Messiah who in the end with his people caused them with himself over 900 individuals to commit suicide. This is around 1977, I think, 78. He convinced over 900 people to commit suicide with him by drinking Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And at that time, I remember I was in high school at the time, and, you know, we didn't have online services or anything like that. And it was all over the magazines and all over the newspapers, and they would show these pictures. And there were women, and there were men, and their little kids just, just lying all around in, in, a, in a tropical area, and, and they all committed suicide. You know what the, the Bible says? It says that the, that the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come as the true Messiah. I've come to bring life and give it to its full. The Bible warns against pseudo-messiahs, those who claim to be a Messiah when in fact they are not. 
In fact, what they are is they're, in, in a sense, they're an embodiment of the evil one. And the de- evil one has never come to bring life. He's only come to bring death. One other name. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this individual, David Koresh. Okay, a few more, David Koresh. Now, that's a little more recent from the, uh, in the 80s and the early 90s. David Koresh was also one who was a leader, a cult leader of um, a group named the Branch Davidians. And David Koresh was a self-proclaimed Messiah who also convinced 74 of his followers to commit suicide with him. And this is uh, when they were living in a, a compound in Waco, Texas. And the FBI came, and they, they were going to break up this, this, this cult, and they were very concerned about Koresh, and they set fire to the building. Seventy-four people burned alive, men, women, children. Jim Jones, David Koresh, they never saved anyone through their deaths, and they never justified anyone. They didn't put anyone in a right relationship with God by rising from the dead. Jesus, as I said, is the one qualified. He lived, yes, he died, but then he lived again for the forgiveness of our sins and so that we would be put in a right relationship with God. He demonstrated that. He proved that by means of his resurrection. So everything, my friends, everything rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in terms of our relationship with God. Okay? That's number one. Number two, though, Jesus, through his resurrection, not only puts us in a right relationship with God, gives us a different position or a different status with God, but by means of his resurrection, it also means something for you and me now in terms of the Christian life. Through the resurrection, Jesus Christ not only puts us in a new position, but he gives us a new power, the power that we all need to live the Christian life. With that in mind, take a look at the second uh, one from Romans 6, 2 through 4. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What is that really saying? Romans 6 is a beautiful passage that speaks about a very important teaching that we should understand, and that's union with Christ. So the Bible teaches that when you are a Christian, Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to the person of Jesus Christ. What that means is, with Christ, you have died, you have been buried, and you have been raised to new life. There's a parallel there, right? Jesus lived, then he died, he was buried, and he was raised to life. The Bible says when you're a Christian, you have died, in a sense, to yourself, and what the Bible calls the flesh... Our natural propensity towards sin is, is, is buried, but then also when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we also, through his resurrection power, are raised by his spirit to new life. What do you mean? What kind of life? The life to be lived for God. So no longer are you living for yourself, no longer are you living for the world, but now you are living for the sake of Christ. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that we too are raised to new life. Not just in the life to come, I'll deal with that in just a minute, but here and now. Or to put it another way, with the power with which Jesus was raised to life, so too for all those who place faith in him, they rise to new life as well. 
do you know of someone, and, and that it may be a person who is near to you, it may be a brother or a sister, it may be a son or a daughter, it may be a friend, someone that you know, who, you, who sometimes you just think, you know what, I've been praying for that person for so long, but they just seem like a lost cause. And then you find that your prayers for that person begin to diminish because you, you've almost given up on that person. Don't. Never underestimate the power of Christ and Christ's spirit to raise that individual to new life. Or you. Are there certain sins that even as a Christian, you say, I, I keep struggling with this sin or these one or two or these three sins. And, and you, you, just, you just, sometimes you feel like you just, there's no hope because you, you keep repeating those sins over and over again. You know what Jesus teaches us to do? He says, pray for the Spirit. If, the earthly, if, if earthly fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give His Spirit to those who ask? What, are you going to say that your sin is more powerful than the grace and the Spirit of God? Don't give up. Pray for the Holy Spirit and pray for God to deliver you of these things. And you find as you continue to pray these things, God begins to work that power in your life. Jesus ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and that door will be opened to you. Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask. Ask and your joy will be made full. Don't count yourself out. This is why the Apostle Paul says, my desire, he says in the book of Philippians, is to know Christ. And not just know about him, but to know him truly and experientially. He says, that's, that's, that's the greatest desire of my life, to know Christ. And then he follows up by saying, and the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection. Or finally this. You find since coming to Pathway, maybe in the last year, year and a half, that you're discovering more and more the beauty of, of the love and the grace of God. It's a result not of you just having the lights turned on. It's a result of the, of the power of God through the resurrected Christ coming into your life and opening your eyes and growing you in that faith. We, we, all of us here, are so dependent upon the Lord, and we're dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything in terms of a new status for us. We have a new position that is accepted by God, not rejected, but accepted and viewed as right standing with Him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything for our Christian walk because we receive that power of resurrection in Christ to keep walking in the faith. But finally this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything not only for the here and now, but also for the future. We're given a new position, we're given a new power, and we're given a promise. And the promise is this, that death is not the final word, but there's life beyond the grave. One final passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its own order, right? So first of all, you have Jesus. He's called the first fruits, referring to his resurrection. Then at his coming, those who belong to him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. Now, I want you to take a look at that. It says, for as in Adam all die, 
right, because of sin, so also in Christ shall all, and on the rest of the Bible we could say, on the basis of faith in Christ, be made alive, but each in its own order. Then it says this, Christ the first fruits. Now, if you studied the Bible a bit, and especially the Old Testament, that word first fruits is, is, a, is a pretty pregnant word. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that carries with it a lot, a lot of meaning. Um, in Old Testament Israel, they would, they would plant um, barley and wheat, and then they would wait for the harvest to come. And once the harvest came, the priest would cut the first pickings of the barley or wheat harvest. And then they would take, let's say, these, these strands of, of barley, let's say, and then it would be wrapped together, and that's what we call it, a sheaf. And then he would take that sheaf and he would wave it before the people as if to say, this is the first pickings of the barley harvest. And this is a sign as the first fruits of the barley harvest of an even greater harvest to come. Now when you take that idea and you apply it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we see then is that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of, the, of, of those who come alive. So he is the first one who lived, who died, but then who lived again and lived to live eternally. And he is the one who then is a sign of an even greater harvest of resurrected individuals to come. His people have embraced him in faith. So Jesus is the one who rises from the dead, and by his resurrection, therefore, he is the guarantee that one day we shall rise from the dead as well. One of the pleasures of the, of the pastorate, um, although it's kind of sad at the time, but it revolves around those who have, who have died. But the beauty of it is, is for those who have died in Jesus Christ. And there are many times where, um, you know, you, you leave what's called the, the internment service or the graveside service. And you, the, the pastor usually, the, 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 the casket is usually here, and then the pastor stands at the head, and then, and then the people will be around, okay, and all the loved ones are around. Sometimes a small group of just maybe five, ten people. Sometimes a lot of people come out, 40 or 50 or so. And you read a few passages, and you confess the Apostles' Creed at a, at a, at a Christian internment, okay? And, and then I always um, work with those who are grieving. I said, you know what? Let's, um, if you don't mind, as, as, the, as the body is lowered into the ground, and there's usually a funeral director there who maybe you've witnessed this before where you, he just cranks it, and then as, as he's, he's, he's cranking this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but the body begins to lower and I said, you know what, it's a beautiful thing that as the body is being lowered into the ground that we can confess um, or sing, actually, the doxology. And so as that body is going down, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It goes down and down and down. And then, and then it comes a point where we end the doxology and we keep hearing the cranking and cranking. It usually lasts maybe 10 or 15 seconds more. And all of a sudden you hear this little thud. Dump. And you know that's the end. And people look down and they see the body six feet below. Now, there's a lot of people who figure that once that body is there and the people leave and the dirt is put on top of that casket, they think that's it, you know? Kids, they just think, you know what? That body is there and it's just going to disintegrate in the ground and that's it. That's the end of that person's existence. The Bible says no. 
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that as Christians we are not those who grieve without hope, but we grieve in light of the resurrection to Jesus. Um, um, we grieve in light of Jesus' resurrection. That just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too we shall rise one day. I like how the catechism puts it. Christ's resurrection to us is a sure pledge or sure guarantee of our own glorious resurrection one day. Do you see why I said the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything? It means everything for us. It means a new position, a right relationship with God. It means a new power. It means the power to live the Christian life based upon the power that God gives us through his spirit. And finally, it means everything because of a promise that God gives us. And the promise is this. That when you embrace Jesus Christ in faith, you must understand that, that Christ's glorious resurrection is a sure pledge or a guarantee of our own resurrection one day. You know what you call that? You call that good news. And that's good news that should put a smile on our face, knowing that when we place our faith in Christ, we entrust ourselves to him. Those very things are given to us that affect not only the here and the now, but the life to come. Such are the benefits of the resurrection of Christ. We are going to discuss more this in just a moment. Before we do, let's, um, let's, uh, let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we consider this here tonight, Lord, we pray that understanding what Christ has done for us in his resurrection is something that, that changes everything for us. It changes our position. It gives us a power. And it gives us assurance. It gives us great comfort that death is not the final word. And that we don't have to fear death. But that Christ's resurrection is indeed the first fruits of our own resurrection. Lord, help us to anticipate that. And to live our lives, O oh God, not for this life ultimately. But to live our lives for the life to come. We thank you for the comfort of the gospel. And we thank you that it is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.